big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Julie, Lizzie, Melissa, and Carolyn. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like them and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, and more, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 23 and 24 of Emma. Well, listeners, you heard it here first. I have a virus that is not COVID-19, but is unpleasant. And if I sound weird in this episode or congested more than usual, that's because I am sick. But don't worry, I am fine. Mike is fine. Uh, Molly is distant from us, so she is also fine. We're just you know, going to drink some fluids. By the time you guys hear this, I am going to be fresh as a daisy. So true. I feel a little bad being a little sick because these are some saucy chapters. I'll I'll be saucy enough for the both of us. Yes. And I will be like saucy in like a congested way. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books. And I, Molly, am reading her for the first time through this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, that is seasons one and two of this podcast, respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about volume two, chapters five and six of Emma, or if your book isn't broken up into volumes, it's chapters 23 and 24. And boy, do we have some chapters here. We could call these the official introduction to the real Frank Churchill. The way you said the real Frank Churchill, I heard it in the voice of like, fuck, what is it? It's like, I'm, I'm the real You're Slim Shady. You're Eminem, the real Slim Shady. I'm the real yeah, Slim I had the Shady. same exact thought. Wow. <laughs> We've synced. Our millennial is showing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, I would not say Frank Churchill has much in common with Eminem. No, Frank Churchill could not if he tried. <laughs> Can you imagine though? He would try. He would absolutely try. One of the things Frank Churchill tells us about himself in this episode is that he's like really into music, but really bad at music. Really into music, really bad at music, loves a party, loves to dance, loves to be the center of attention. He was giving me... Leo energy? Like, like, like the actor? Like the astrological sign. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you meant like, <laughs> like Leonardo DiCaprio. Again, Leo DiCaprio circa the 90s is a pretty good Frank comp, but we should, we should get into the chapter. Yes, I have a lot of comps for who he reminds me of, and one of them is one that I think we've been waiting for. I will neither confirm nor deny. All right, so let's get into it. Becca, do you want to tell the people where we left off? Where we last left off, Mr. Elton was getting married. And it was very awkward for everyone involved because Mr. Elton's running around talking about his Miss Hawkins, who Emma does not think very highly of. So he's going to Bath to go get married. Meanwhile, Harriet's fluctuating between being heartbroken over Robert Martin and heartbroken over Mr. Elton. And uh, right now we have Emma scheming for a way for Harriet to visit the Martins in a way that comports with the quorum, but in a way that doesn't draw her back into their orbit. Yes. So her solution to that is to drop Harriet off and leave her there for 15 minutes and then pick her up again. This is absolutely messy. So messy, this whole thing. And Harriet, poor Harriet, she just goes along with it. So Harriet does not want to go when it comes time to go. Because she was in town and she saw a trunk with Elton's name on it being loaded onto a butcher's cart headed for Bath. Now, 
my guess was that this was like a trunk, like a like the meat for the wedding or something. Because essentially, yeah, yes, it's like stuff going down to bath for the wedding. Yeah, so she's in a mood, but Emma's like, nope, it's time. So she loads her into the carriage, brings her to uh, what's it called, Abby. Harriet's just in a state right now where, like, on Instagram, it's all her ex's engagement photos. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a big mood for your, like, mid to late 20s. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very common at this point in time. The trick to that is to be happy before your ex. Mm-hmm. And then when they are happy, you're like, oh, I get to be happy for you because I'm already happy. <laughs> The fun thing about being gay is that everyone stays friends with their exes. So everyone gets to be like, you're like, you're like invited to your ex's wedding and you're like having a good time. You're like happy for them, sending each other pictures with your new girlfriend. Yes, but not not when you have a straight man's ego in the mix. That makes being friends with exes a lot harder. Totally. And that's the problem. So. Emma drops Harriet off. She goes, she visits an old servant of hers that lives nearby. She turns around. She comes back. Harriet comes out when she is summoned and she's alone. But Miss Martin is like saying goodbye in the doorway. And Harriet is too emotional to talk about it. But Emma eventually is able to get out of her a couple things that she only visited with the women of the family. Mr. Martin was not there, which is probably for the best. And at first, they had been very cautious of Harriet and like a little cold. And as the 15 minutes wore on, Mrs. Martin is like, Harriet, you've grown so much. And then they all start remembering the day that Mr. Martin measured them against the wall. Like he measured his sisters and Harriet. And like, you know how like you, when you're growing up, you like mark little tick marks on the wall. Yeah. We're given like a very picturesque little snapshot into what it was like for Harriet to be with the Martins. Yeah. They're like, reminiscing about it and at that moment when they're starting to warm up to each other is when Emma comes back at that point it's obvious that the visit had very specific goals and that it was short on purpose and the quote here is 14 minutes to be given to those with whom she had thankfully passed six weeks not six months ago yeah it's a very obvious slight yeah and so, like, honestly, it's probably worse than having him not come at all. Yeah, it's really bad. And it's that sort of gaslighty thing where it's like it's enough interaction that you can say that you were not slighted, but it's not enough interaction to have avoided the slight in total. Totally. And it's not Harriet's fault that she's gaslighting them. Emma's been gaslighting people this whole time. Harriet's being gaslit herself. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Emma is riding along in the carriage and she's thinking that she wishes the Martins were slightly higher in rank. She thinks that they are such deserving good people that even if they just had a little bit more status, this would have been agreeable to her. Like this match would have been agreeable. Oh my God. Do you know that Eric Andre meme? That's like the guy shooting the dummy and then it's like, why would someone do this? So it's like (laughs) Emma to Harriet's relationship to the Martins. And she's like, why would someone do this? This is so sad. (laughs) Yeah, she's starting to feel those those regretful feelings again. Oh, yeah, you can definitely tell. Because like Emma's, you know, she's she's Emma, but she has a conscience. Just a little too late. And a little too removed. Yes. At this point, she starts feeling bad for herself because she's like, Oh, I don't like when I start having feelings. And <laughs> she's like, all right, let's 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 go to Randall's. That'll cheer me up. But nobody is home at Randall's. And then Emma's like, this is the worst thing that could have happened right now. So she's very depressed. And they start driving away. But then the carriage is stopped. And who is it but the Westons? They had just been at Hartfield telling her dad. And now they want to tell her that Frank is coming tomorrow. Frank's coming! Frank is finally coming! We got a Frank Churchill in the house. Almost. Almost. Mr. Weston is so happy that he did not come at Christmas because he would have only been able to stay for two days. And now he's staying for two whole weeks. And even Mrs. Weston seems pretty happy about it and like sure that he is coming. So that makes Emma feel like, okay, he's coming for real this time. And it says, quote, the worn out past was sunk by this news. She really doesn't require much to move on, does she? Emma doesn't really have problems, so her (laughs) problems are so fixable 
that they don't really bug her that much. That's so true. That's it. She doesn't have that depth of feeling. Well, yeah. I mean, she just doesn't. Nothing goes really wrong for her. So like the little things that do go wrong, she's like, oh, shit, that's a problem. But then she can easily forget about it because mostly things are fine. It's just so funny because like on the last page, it had said Emma could not remember ever feeling so discouraged or something like that and it was like because the Westons weren't home like she was like this is terrible news um and then she's okay but it's just so funny and she hopes that nobody will ever speak of Mr. Elton again now they have Mr. Churchill to talk about so Mr. Weston tells Emma how Mr. Frank Churchill was able to come like what events led up to this but they don't tell us which I think is interesting and I wanted to note that And he tells her that he's going to bring him to Hartfield. And at this, Mrs. Weston like tugs on his arm and she's like, all right, let's go. Because we all know what they're trying to do here. I mean, Mr. Weston is like trying to get stuff to grow in that lasagna real hard. Mm -hmm. He's even more of a matchmaker than Emma in this chapter. Oh, he's thriving. He's loving it. Yes. This is everything he's ever wanted. In all seriousness, his son is coming home and he's really excited. I know. It's so But cute. also, he's like, mm, it's time. It's time for the matchmaking to begin. I know. It's so funny because it's like you would think that he would want to like hang out with his son and show him around town and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to bring him to Emma's house. <laughs> so back in college, I grew up in like a suburb where there wasn't much to do. And one of my friends had like the house where all of our college friends would come and visit and gather. Mm -hmm. And when they were in town, she was like, the only thing to do in this whole town is that my friend Becca has a really awesome golden retriever. (laughs) So all of her friends would come to my house and sit on my porch and play with my dog. And that was like the sight to see in, in my hometown. And so I feel like Mr. Weston's like, there's not much to see here, but we do have this one really hot girl you can check out. I really like this comparison of Emma to a cute dog. Yes. Fun to look at. Fun to hang around. Might pee on the carpet, but we'll feel bad about it. Right. Exactly. We'll tuck her tail between her legs. We'll do it again. (laughs) And be like, oh, no. (laughs) Emma needs to be housebroken. Although Emma's not a golden retriever. No. Harriet's a golden retriever. Emma's like... Emma's like a chihuahua or something. Emma's a shih tzu. Mm-hmm. Very well-groomed, very smart, a little sassy. I like that. All right. <laughs> the dog talk has made it into the episode. Yes. So before they go, Mr. Weston turns to Emma and he's like, by the way, like, I know I talk a lot. Uh, about Frank and like how great he is and how handsome he is but I'm biased so like don't be expecting someone too handsome Uh, he's just like average like trying to like you know not get her expectations up too high and Emma's like okay all right okay and then Mrs. Weston mutters to Emma that she should think of her tomorrow at four o'clock because she is nervous and Mr. Weston's like four o'clock he's gonna be early I know it and Emma's like in a great mood now because She's going to finally meet Frank Churchill. But all Harriet says is that she wonders if Frank will pass through Bath as well. (sighs) And Emma thinks, all right, she wasn't going to get better immediately, but maybe Harriet will be okay in time. The next day, Emma is thinking of Mrs. Weston all morning. She's like thinking of her preparing for his arrival and making his bed and all this stuff. And at 12 o'clock, she goes into the parlor and who should be there but Mr. Weston and Frank Churchill himself. The prodigal son returns. And he is hot. Oh, yes. Wait, we haven't done this exercise in a while. Who are you picturing? What actor? Oh, my gosh. Hmm... So I guess I guess because I've watched so many Austin things, my vocabulary has widened from being just Colin Firth to being more actors. But they are all like people that are in Austin things or Regency things. And for him, I'm picturing Dominic Cooper because as much as like I think I like him, I don't trust him. And Dominic Cooper has that kind of like sweet baby face, but also like the little arch of the eyebrow that's very Willoughby. So right now I'm picturing Dominic Cooper. Okay, that's that's an interesting pick. I think he's hotter than Dominic Cooper, 
no offense to Dominic Cooper, he's very handsome, but I think that Frank has like, I don't know. Well, the thing about Frank is that the way he's described in the book is like he's good looking enough, but he carries himself in a very hot, sexy manner. Mm -hmm. The description here, let's pull that up. Yeah, read it. He was a very good looking young man. Height, air, address, all were unexceptionable, and his countenance had a great deal of the spirit and liveliness of his father. He looked quick and sensible. She felt immediately that she should like him. And there was a well-bred ease of manner and a readiness to talk, which convinced her that he came intending to be acquainted with her, and that acquainted they soon must be. So, like, he's good-looking and handsome and all that, but, like, he also has, like, an air about him that's very sexy. I think I have a new answer. Okay, go for it. So, I was going to bring this up later, but I'm going to bring it up now. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Matt Chutri, Chutri, the person who plays Logan on Gilmore Girls. And I think that Frank Churchill is Logan. I will neither confirm nor deny this pick. That's my pick. And I have more later on to back that claim up. So we'll, we'll get to it. Okay. So apparently Frank arrived the night before to surprise them. And the Westons are delighted by it. And they're like, That's, it's the best thing to be able to surprise people. And Frank says, it is a great pleasure where one can indulge in it, though there are not many houses that I should presume on so far. But in coming home, I felt I might do anything. And he really emphasizes the word home. And Emma thinks to herself that he really knows how to make himself agreeable. And he, he knows how to please a room. Oh, yeah, that, that man is a charmer. And I spent a lot of the time reading these chapters, trying to find the chapter before where they were talking about how he's kind of a politician and kind of a chameleon and like, he knows who to talk to about what subjects. And I found it. And Emma was right about that. And to her, that's not a bad thing. But to Knightley, it's the worst thing. Yeah. Well, we haven't seen Mr. Knightley and Mr. Churchill interact as of yet. I can't wait. So he talks about how much he loves the country, this country. And he calls it his own country and how much he had, he had been longing to come back to it. And Emma has this passing thought of, if he loves it so much, why is this the first time he's come back? But then she brushes that aside, and she thinks, you know, if he's putting on a show, at least it's a pleasant one, and it's making everyone happy. So they cover all the basics of conversation. He asks about the society of the town, which becomes a thing for him. He asks if they hold any balls there. And then he moves on to talk about his mother-in-law, which I believe is the equivalent of his stepmother, right? Yes. Uh, he's talking about Mrs. Weston. Is that like a thing that they used to call or British people call mother-in-law or is it like an outdated term or? I guess. I don't really know. British listeners, tell us if you call people your step parents or your parents-in-law or if this is something that they just did a long time ago and don't do anymore. So he talks about how wonderful Mrs. Weston is and how happy he is that she married his father and Emma's like, this is further proof that he's aiming to please me. Like, he knows that I am best friends with her and that I want to hear that he loves her. The thing is, though, he just met Mrs. Weston, so how can he possibly know? And he is just saying what Emma wants to hear, and I don't know why she thinks that's a good thing. Well, I mean, it's also upon first impression. And you get the sense from Trank Churchill that, like, even if he is kind of full of shit, he says it with such a dimple-filled smile that everyone's kind of like, oh, yeah, I believe you. Like, there's a certain... How do I put this? My dad talks about two different types of charm. There's people who are very charming people who uh, exude a certain charisma, but one aspect of charisma that's very underappreciated but very important is the ability to make other people feel charming. And Frank has that in abundance, this capacity to take whoever you're with, make them feel like they're special and that he's listening to them. That sort of capacity to make somebody feel like you're paying special attention to them is its own form of charm that is very intoxicating. And I think Frank Churchill is putting on a very good show of that here in a way that Emma's like almost a little aware of, mm -hmm. but doesn't actually even care about in terms of whether or not it's genuine because she's just enjoying his presence so much. Yeah, he has a way of making you feel like you're the only person in the room. Yes, yes. The charm of being able to make other people feel charming. Yeah, another quality that Logan Huntsberger also shares. <laughs> so he is 
putting so much praise upon Mrs. Weston that he he basically comes close to thanking Emma for Mrs. Weston's merits. And Emma is thinking to herself, actually, Mrs. Weston is to thank for my merits. Like, I am the way that I am because she raised me, essentially, which is sweet. And he says that he was actually expecting Mrs. Weston to be kind of older and like a nice looking older woman. But actually, she's a very pretty young lady, I think is what he says, basically young and hot. And Emma's like, don't let her hear you say that about her. Now, first I was like, why wouldn't Mrs. Weston want to hear him say that about her? But then I'm like, I guess she's technically his son now. So maybe it's weird. She's his mother now. It is oh, a yeah. weird. Yeah, she's his mother. He's her son. But I think it's also a matter of just like embarrassment. Like, oh, stop. Don't. She'll, she'll be so embarrassed if she hears you say that. See, I would be like, oh, she'll be so flattered. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Emma wonders if he's ever considered her as a prospect the same way that she's considered him. And I think that, like, I'm wondering if she's picking up on some flirtatious vibes from him because this is about the same moment where she notices Mr. Weston, like, staring at them and, like, being like, oop, and then, like, hiding. Um, And she's feeling very intrigued by him as well. Do you sense a vibe? I sense a vibe. Is there a vibe? Is there a vibe? Is a vibe check? Is that, is that, did I use that right? <laughs> it's a vibe. Yeah. So she's wondering if he's flirting. The only person who's not picking up on the vibe. The vibe. Is her dad. He could never think so low of someone to think that they're thinking about marriage. I love this picture. Like I'm picturing them all sitting at lunch or whatever. And like Emma and Frank Churchill are in the corner kind of being like little, <laughs> little like vibe in the corner. Mm-hmm. And then you have. Mr. Weston just being like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then you have Mr. Woodhouse who's just like, ah, yes, have you tried my gruel? Yes, exactly. He's totally oblivious and he's yeah. having a great time because of it. Yes. Uh, ignorance is bliss for Mr. Woodhouse personally. Yeah, because if he knew that Frank Churchill was flirting with his daughter, he'd be like, get out of my house. Exactly. Yeah. So... Mr. Weston then says that he has to go and he's going to the Crown, the Crown Inn. And Frank gets up to join him and he says, I actually have to pay a visit, which must be paid someday or other. He has the pleasure of being acquainted with a neighbor of theirs, a lady by the name of Fairfax. So the way that he brings her up, I already knew that they knew each other, right? But I had to go back because I... Jane was like, oh, like, I know of him. Everyone thinks well of him. But she didn't give Emma any information about him or their acquaintance. So I was like, did she lie? Like, they're on good enough terms that he's coming to visit her? No, no. I mean, Jane basically said, like, oh, yeah, I've met him. And Frank is like, yeah, she's an acquaintance. And so to be polite, I got to go call on her. Yeah. So after I thought about it for a while, I was like, I guess when you know someone from another place and you're in the same place as them again, you're supposed to call on them. But the way he brought it up was a little dodgy and he's going to continue being dodgy about it. So I have my thoughts, but he says like, uh, there was that degree of acquaintance at Weymouth, which, uh, and then his dad cuts him off and he's like, Oh yes, you should definitely visit today because she lives with her poor grandmother and she's like not at the top of society anymore. So like if you don't visit her, it would be a slight. So it's like a pity visit. Almost. Yeah. And I mean, it's also just something where it's like he's known Jane in a very different context than this. Right. He saw her like with Colonel Campbell and his family Mm -hmm. and Jane Fairfax was living like the high life there. And now she's living in a one bedroom apartment over a uh, like like a pantry. Right. And so there is decorum on his part for making sure she's aware he doesn't think less of her sort of. Gotcha. I see. So. At this point, Emma's like, oh, yeah, I've heard Jane speak of your acquaintance. But, like, she hasn't really because she tried to get Jane to speak of their acquaintance and Jane did not. And she says that Jane is an elegant young woman. And he's like, yeah. And Emma is kind of like, I didn't really buy that, actually. Does he not think she's an elegant young woman? Emma's ears are so perked for gossip. It's insane. She is dying right now. She's like, um... You, you know, you, if you weren't struck by her manners before, you definitely will be today in comparison to her aunt. Actually, you might not hear her speak at all today because her aunt never shuts up. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, oh, you know, Jane Fairfax. 
And what does it say? He's like always the last in a conversation. Yeah, it's like always the last to pick up on the subject of a conversation or something like that, which I just love for him. He's just not paying attention at all. To be as ignorant as Mr. Woodhouse would be beautiful. Really? And everyone just loves you for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says that Jane is great and her family is great and her, her aunt and her grandma are great. And it's so funny because Emma was just dunking on them. And he's like, oh, I'll send a servant with you. And Frank is like, no, no, I don't need a servant. My dad can show me where it is. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, yeah, but your father isn't going the full way. And the street is very dirty. And my servant can show you the best way to walk on the path. And Frank is like trying not to laugh. And Mr. Weston is like, don't worry. Frank knows a puddle when he sees one. He'll be okay. And so they leave. And Emma is very satisfied with the visit. And that is the end of that chapter. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Yes, it is. Brings you to chapter six. Yes. Good job. Yes. So Frank comes again the next morning, this time with Mrs. Weston, because they had been sitting together and she'd asked him where he wanted to walk. And he was like, Highbury. And so, of course, to both of them, Highbury means Hartfield. And they went to Hartfield. Emma is surprised because Mr. Weston had just popped by that morning. It says just to hear her say that Frank is very handsome, which I thought was amazing. Mr. Weston is in his element here. This is now like his matchmaking journey. Yeah. I just love this for him. Like, I I feel like we've gotten a little bit of a sense of who he is as a person. Like, he loves to have people over. We love him overall. But just getting more of a sense of his personality now as he pops his head in and says, so what did you think of Frank? And, like, runs away. Yeah, it's just, like, very pure, very pure energy coming off of Mr. Weston. Yes. And so he didn't mention them coming by. So Emma wasn't expecting Mrs. Weston or Frank Churchill. And yet here they are. She sees them walking, and Emma is very pleased to see his manners towards Mrs. Weston because that relationship was what was she she was going to base her opinion of him off of this relationship. And so she's happy to see that it's going well. And the thing is that he knows that that relationship is the most important to Emma. So he's really paying these attentions, it seems to me anyway, intentionally to please Emma. So, yeah, but also Mrs. Weston is a sensible woman and she would notice if he were like only sucking up to her around Emma. He's like genuinely being caring and charming to her, like outside of their interactions. Yes. Yes. And I think that's clear to Emma as well. Like it seems genuine and she is pleased with that as well. She's like, he knows that it's pleasing me, but also it seems like he's genuine enough. They stay the whole morning. They walk around Hartfield together and then Highbury. And Frank shows a curiosity and an excitement about Highbury in general. 
he wants to see everything. He wants to see the house that his father used to live in. He wants to see the cottage of an old nanny of his. And he shows a general goodwill towards Highbury that convinces Emma that he had not been staying away from Highbury by choice. He'd been staying away because he wasn't allowed to come. So that's convinced her. And she thinks that Knightley has not done him justice. I mean, Knightley was just like this piece of shit. I hate him with every fiber of my being. Everything about his existence tells me he's a spoiled little man child who will never see his father and is selfish. And it's like, okay, man, maybe just take it down a notch. So like to say Knightley is being unfair to Churchill was probably just like because he, there was a very low bar Frank had to like step over to totally. exceed Mr. Knightley's expectations. Yes, he did not really have to do much other than like be kind to her and say like, hello, how are you? And she would have been like, oh, Knightley was wrong about you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just feel like something must have happened there. Like I still don't really understand why he hates him so much, but I guess we'll find out. So they stop at the Crown Inn and this is the main lodging house in town, but it's nothing special. It's just like an inn. But a couple of years ago, they had built an extension to it, an adjoining ballroom. And the neighborhood at the time had been very inclined to dance. And um, so there had been some balls. But the dancing time of the neighborhood has passed away. And now it's used as a gentleman's whist club. But... Frank hears ballroom and he is hooked and he's standing there staring at it. He's like, oh, my gosh, it's perfect. You must start holding balls again. Emma, you who can do anything in Highbury, you have to throw a ball. And Emma loves to hear that. You know, she does. (laughs) She's like, oh, I can do anything. Yeah. And I mean, the idea of like a hot man enchantingly being like, oh, we must dance. And I know you above all else would throw a party where we could all dance. Yeah. She's like. But there, there's no proper families in Highbury, and um, they wouldn't be able to convince people to come in from out of town, and there's all these reasons why we shouldn't throw a ball, and he's, like, hell-bent on dancing. And he reminded me in this moment a little bit of Willoughby, who loved to dance, and also Logan Huntsberger, who is, like, the reason that I think he's Logan is he comes from a wealthy family, but... And we're about to get here. There's a confusion of rank. So Emma thinks that his his wanting to dance so much proves that he has the spirit of a Weston and none of the pride or reserve of the Churchills. But she thinks that there's actually even a lack of pride to the point of being confused of what his rank is um, and maybe being a little inelegant. And this reminds me of Logan because he while he is he's always going to be rich and privileged and his version of being debaucherous is incredibly rich and privileged. Like you fell out of a helicopter or like cliff jumping or whatever when you were on an island doing reckless things like because you're rich. But this is a more niche reference that fewer people will understand. But not only is he like Logan Huntsberger, but he's also like Prince Hal and Henry the fourth part one. He's kind of an archetype. Honestly, like the rich, handsome party boy who comes from mass privilege, but has like a certain joie de vivre and charm that makes him sort of irresistible. Yeah, I guess he is an archetype. Yeah, that's the that's the Prince Hal archetype for sure. And the Logan Huntsberger archetype, who are their examples? Leo DiCaprio in the 90s archetype. <laughs> I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um Yeah, there's just like very much this uh, very specific character that's in a lot of things like the the sort of rich party boy who can knock your socks off with a smile and like look in your eyes like he sees your soul. Like it's it's very much a thing. Yeah. And he's a little bit rebellious. Yeah. And he's got that sort of cheeky, naughty energy to him. Like he's doing something a little gauche, a little wrong, but it's it's almost like more uh, charming when he does it. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll always have this sense of privilege that he can't actually shake. Like he won't ever be able to really understand what people below him are going through or like how they exist in the world because he's got that privilege and he has, he's like one step above everyone. Well, this is actually kind of an interesting thing to to parse out this is in the study questions a little bit to talk about frank churchill's character so we can save it if you want or we can talk about it now talk about it now all right so i mean yes he is this archetype but he has a wrinkle to this archetype which is that he wasn't actually born to 
wealth and privilege, mm -hmm. he was uh, transferred to it at a young age and raised in it. Mm -hmm. But he comes from much humbler beginnings than someone like a like a Prince Hal. Right. Right. And he's like, I want to see the house where my dad grew up and like where I was nursed as a baby. Like, I want to see the old woman who took care of me. Yeah. Highbury is a homecoming to his much humbler roots. Mm -hmm. He walks around as a member of a much wealthier family, the Churchills, but he is a Weston. Yeah. He comes from trade, military, background, and he comes from a father who was so poor when he was born that he gave his child away because he couldn't take care of him. Right. So Frank is an interesting character because in some ways he looks exactly like every other rich party boy we've seen before. But in others, he comes from a different circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to ask how how much Frank feels that background and how much he forgets that background. That's that's something to hold in your heart. I've sort of brought it up before the um, Weston versus the Churchill in him. Mm -hmm. But I think when thinking about the character of Frank. That is a piece of him that I want us to sort of track through the book. All right. Noted. So eventually they move on from the Crown Inn and Emma's like, oh, we're by the Bates's house. Did you end up visiting them yesterday? And he says, yes. And I'm glad you warned me about Miss Bates because I would have been shocked at how much she talked otherwise. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You and I are, I think, we like to be charitable to these characters in these books. Mm -hmm. um, we we stan the likes of Mrs. Jennings or Mrs. Bennett, but even you and I were getting annoyed with Miss Bates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a lot. Yeah. And Emma asks how he thought Jane looked, and he, this is where we get what he actually thinks of Jane. He said she looks very ill. She's so pale, like her complexion lacks something. And Emma's like, well, no, she's her complexion may not be brilliant, but she's not sickly. And there's a softness to her skin, which gives elegance to the character of her face. Gay. Yeah. I mean, forever and always, Emma's obsession with Jane Fairfax feels a bit homoerotic and it particularly here, especially because she doesn't like her. But she's like, wait, are you telling me you don't think that she is the sexiest person alive? She's like, okay, listen, I know she's a dud, but she's like a the hottest dud that has ever existed. You yeah. can't deny that. She loves how Jane Fairfax looks. Yeah. And he's like, I don't think anything can make up for the glow of health. And, uh, you know, when someone's features are plain, it it brings light to them. But when their features are also good... Fortunately, I don't need to explain the effect of that, which is very flirty. Yeah, the man is flirting. He is flirting hard. We have a vibe. Yeah, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. <laughs> and Emma's like, well, at least you admire her for everything but her complexion. And he says, well, I cannot separate her from her complexion. And Emma's like, all right. Uh, did you see her often at Weymouth? And he avoids the question. And he's like, oh, my God, we have to go into Fords. Everyone loves Fords, right? And Emma's like, oh, yeah, and everyone will love you if you shop there. So they go in and he's like, OK, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to to interrupt your question now that he's had some time to think of his answer. <laughs> when they go in, he says the utmost stretch of public fame would not make me amends for the loss of any happiness in private life, meaning that he doesn't want to skim over her questions in order to shop at a store that will make him popular amongst the town. But it doesn't feel genuine to me. I will just say that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just distrustworthy of Austin's men, but I just don't believe that from him. But anyway, he says, after she asks the question again, which is, have you seen Jane much at Weymouth? He says, it's an unfair question because it's always the lady's right to decide on how well they know each other, the degree of the acquaintance. And he says he's not going to say anything on the subject in case he claims more acquaintance than Jane would allow, which I think is is saucy. I think this is an interesting way to answer that question. And Emma says, well, Jane hardly says anything about anything ever. So you might as well say something because we wouldn't get anything out of her if we tried. And he's like, well, OK, I saw her a lot at Weymouth. I'm very well acquainted with the Campbells. And Emma says, do you know what Jane's situation in life is? The governess thing. And he's like, um, I think I do. 
And then Mrs. Weston is like, Emma, you're gossiping. I'm right here. Like, let me let me walk away. She's like, let me give you some space to gossip. So she goes away and Emma's like, oh, right. I forgot that, like, she's not just my best friend anymore. She's also your mom. (laughs) Exactly. So they buy some gloves and then they leave. And Frank is like, have you ever heard Miss Fairfax play? And Emma's like, only every year since we both learned how to play the piano, we see each other a lot. And she thinks that Jane plays charmingly. Yeah, this has been touched on in the prior chapter because Jane straight up showed up Emma when she played the piano. But Jane, not only is she hot, but like everyone agrees, she's extremely musically talented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's both hot and accomplished. Yes. Meanwhile, Emma has never finished a portrait except of Harriet. <laughs> yeah, Emma tries, but she just doesn't try also. Well, Emma has the benefit of being unchallenged for the most part because yeah. she's the wealthy girl in the in the neighborhood. She's beautiful. She's smart. She is very charming. And the combo means that she can kind of like pick up whatever she wants and like she can grow in her accomplishments as she sees fit. Jane has to be extra accomplished because she comes from a lower class. Right. So true. I hadn't thought of that. But it's also part of the reason that Emma hates Jane. Yeah. She's like, dang it. Um, he says that he wanted her opinion on this because he knows nothing about music, which we brought up earlier. He loves music, but he doesn't know how to play anything. And he said he found some proof of Jane's playing well because there was a man, a very musical man, who was in love with someone else and engaged to someone else. But he never asked his fiance to play when Jane was around. He only ever wanted to hear Jane if that was an option. And Emma goes, oh, Mr. Dixon is very musical, is he? And I, I want to say that I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not subtle. <laughs> it's not subtle. And uh, he says, yes, I am talking about Mr. Dixon and Miss Campbell. And Emma says, I wouldn't have liked that very much if I was Miss Campbell. And she asks how Miss Campbell seemed to take it. And Mr. Frank Churchill says, well, you know, it, it's her best friend. It's not like a rando. And Emma's like, it would have been better if it was a rando, because if he preferred a rando, He's only going to see that rando once. But if he prefers her best friend and she's always there, that would suck. And he says that Miss Campbell didn't ever really seem to mind or notice. And Emma says that's either for the better or for the worse. I don't know. But whatever it might be on her part, whether it's stupidity, sweetness, uh, proof of the strength of their friendship or of a lack of feeling on Miss Campbell's part, someone knew. And it was Miss Fairfax. Miss Fairfax definitely knew that Mr. Dixon was showing her extra attention and that it was improper and dangerous. And Frank is like, uh, uh, and Emma goes, don't worry. Like, I know only Jane can know her own feelings, but based on her behavior that she continued to play for him, we can guess that she knew. Now, Mr. Frank Churchill says there appeared to be a good understanding between all three of them, but Emma knows Jane better than he does. And Emma's like, you know, you would think that that we would know each other better, but uh, actually, I don't like her. <laughs> she says uh, she could never get over her disgust towards Jane for being so revered in the town. And she also could never be friends with someone who was so reserved. And Frank agrees that reserve is a repulsive quality and one could never love a reserved person. Emma says that she would need to be in much greater need of a friend to try and be friends with Jane Fairfax, but she thinks that Jane's reserve is suspicious and she thinks she's hiding something. At this point, Emma feels like she knows Frank very well and she's surprised this is only their second time meeting. He's even better than she was expecting. He's less the man of the world in some of his notions and less of the spoiled child of fortune. So he's like just more more humble Um, And fun than she was expecting. Yeah, I think she was expecting someone a little bit more polished. Yes. Um, But Frank has like a Highbury sensibility about him. He's warm, he's engaging, and he's excited by life. Yeah, it's interesting because Emma, Emma does not like someone who's reserved, but she definitely likes someone who's polished. And for him, he's neither. I mean, he's a little bit polished, but he's not fully... I mean, Emma doesn't spend her time around many polished people. I mean, you have Knightley, who's pretty polished. And then you have, um, I mean, Mrs. Weston in her own regard, although she's of lower status than Emma. Mm -hmm. And you have, you know, Emma and her dad 
neither of whom shows a particular level of polish and panache. Like they're very high class, but they're not necessarily like high society, hoity-toity snobs in the same way somebody like Frank Churchill could have been. Right, but she's so concerned with making Harriet polished. Well, polished in a certain way. Like there's polish that clearly Emma has of being at the higher classes. In fact, I think Jane has some of that as well. Mm -hmm. But you have also the fact that Emma doesn't shut the fuck up. Yeah, (laughs) ever. And that's not a particularly polished trait. True. She prefers people who are engaging and warm and friendly. Yes, and he is those things. Yes. And she's particularly struck by the fact that he doesn't think Elton's house is a piece of shit. Yeah, because she wanted to talk shit about it. And they walk by and he's like, well, that's a nice house. And she's like, uh, what? And he says, if it were to be shared with the woman he loved, he could not think any man to be pitied for having that house. There must be ample room in it for every real comfort. The man must be a blockhead who wanted more. Now, he's coming from like a mansion and wealth. And Mrs. Weston is like, you can't possibly know Like, you're not a judge of houses. You're coming from something much larger than this. But Emma secretly thinks to herself that this shows proof that he wants to settle down um, early and he wants to marry for all the right reasons. And in particular, she thinks that if he did become attached to someone, he would give up much of his wealth in order to settle down early. What do you think of Emma's thought there? Well, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about it until reading it back right now. Because I was like, oh, she's got a crush on him. She thinks this is nice. He wants to settle down. He wouldn't mind having a house like Elton's if he was in love. But he wouldn't need to give up his wealth if he was marrying her. So now I'm wondering if she's thinking of him for herself or for someone else. Well, if you remember Emma's whole thing about love, it's, uh, first of all, let's get a little sting for the economics of dating Jane Austen. Actually, you know what? Hold the sting, Graham. Record scratch it. (laughs) Uh, Let's just return to that in the study questions because we're headed to the end of the chapters and I have study questions about this. Yes. So that is the end of those chapters. All right. And that does bring us to Becca's study questions. So let's start with just going back all the way to the beginning and talk about the Martins for one question before it's totally the Frank show. For the rest of the questions. (laughs) So uh, what do you think of Emma's feelings about the Martins and that whole interaction that was happening towards the beginning of the chapters? She's getting weird. Like she wants them to be. So she sees how much it affects Harriet and she sees how good a match this would be for Harriet if the Martins were a little bit more wealthy. And she's thinking to herself that they are worthy people. And she's starting to understand that, like, just because they're a lower class doesn't mean that they're bad people. And, like, I think that she is starting to see some reason, but she's just trying to make up reasons for herself to not feel guilty for having separated them. She's like, well, but they're they're too low status. Like, even though she sees that they are good people and that it is a good match, it's hard to figure out there. I think she's still going to try to get Harriet with someone else. Yeah. And I think it's also worth noting that, again, once again, we have Emma, our unreliable narrator on all these things. Yes. And you can see all these ways in which the Martins exhibit signs of some form of polish, some form of decorum and societal etiquette Mm -hmm. that Emma sort of brushes to the side as sort of the exception that proves the rule instead of saying, huh, Maybe I misjudged these people. Maybe their class status is something I don't understand precisely. And you can see the creeping feeling of guilt and maybe even like a little remorse pulling in through Emma that she, as her own narrator, clamps down in these chapters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was almost hesitant to say that I was thinking she was feeling remorse. But I think it's you're right. It's definitely creeping in there. It's almost as though a seed's been planted. Yeah. All right. First impressions of Frank Churchill. What a guy. Um, I mean, he's definitely charming. I like him. I wouldn't say I trust him 100%, but not in like a, I don't know. I mean, I've been burned by so many men in Jane Austen. I'm starting to form hypotheses, but I don't want them. I, I feel like they're kind of 
based on things that have happened in other Austin books. But I feel like something happened between him and Jane that they're both trying to keep quiet. Like, for example, did he like pull an Elton on her or like a Willoughby on Marianne? Like, did he do something to Jane that makes him not want to talk about their relationship or makes Jane not want to talk about their relationship? Is he lying to Emma the way that Wickham lied to Lizzie? Like, I just I feel like I've been burned by these men and I don't know. I know that Elton's the bad guy in this book, but there could be more than one bad guy. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I like him, though. Like I'm charmed by him. I would have a fun time with him. I want to go to a party with him. So. All right. We can leave it at that for now. Um, why did Frank come? Why did he come? I have no idea because they don't tell us. How did he come? How did he come? He all it said about it was that Mr. Weston tells Emma the events that led to him being able to come, the events at Enscombe that led to him being able to come. And then they don't tell us what those events were. So, I don't know. Maybe his parents went out of town or something. I don't know. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's if you will. So, uh, what do you make of Frank's relationship to Highbury? I believe that he's excited to be there. And we sort of talked about how this is his humble beginnings. But he can't possibly remember all this stuff. Like, he was very young when he was here last. Yeah, he's the quintessential prodigal son returns. Right. He is the wealthy, eligible young bachelor coming home to his humble beginnings in this town that has worshipped him from afar for like two decades. Right. He is the star of the show here. hmm And in turn, he's looking at a place where he could have spent his childhood in very different circumstances than the ones he grew up in. Right. So I think that makes for an interesting dynamic. He can sort of loftily dream of the charmed life that he had here Mm -hmm. with his father. But the truth is he did not have that life. He had a very different, a much more privileged life. Yeah. So leave it at that. What do you think of Emma's reaction to Frank and their potential vibe, their romance? I think that she was going to feel it no matter what, because she has worked him up in her head so much that she was like, yes, I'm going to like Frank Churchill very much. But he is definitely flirting back. And I do think that she's correct in thinking that perhaps he has imagined her the same way that she's been imagining him, especially if Mr. Weston has anything to say about it. And he's he writes some letters. So like he's probably mentioned her a bunch. So the vibe is definitely happening. And I'm curious about it. So now we're going to use the sound effect. Graham, we're going to bring it back. The economics of dating in Jane Austen. We're going to talk about it. So... Obviously, there's a lot of different layers one could talk about with Emma and Frank as a unit. Um, Obviously, there's clear chemistry there. There's a clear vibe. They enjoy each other's company. They're both very extroverted, good-looking people that enjoy a fun time. Mm -hmm. They're also both wealthy. They are also both set to inherit a lot of money. So there's a way in which this match is pretty sensible. And I want to bring it back to how Frank talked about Mr. Elton's home and Emma's decision that he was looking to marry because one thing that for very clear and obvious reasons sometimes we put to the side in this podcast is that Emma has not said she doesn't want to marry she says she will not marry for anything less than true love Frank could be a very sensible match for Emma for a lot of reasons they have a lot of similar connections the wealth level for both of them is appropriate they're around the same age and they get along really well But Emma needs to know that any match between them would not be financially linked. Mm, Because she's just gotten that one marriage proposal so far. That was like, I want you for your money. Yeah. And that was very nakedly ambitious of Elton to say and do. And that's part of the reason it pissed off Emma so much is because she really believes that marriage shouldn't be anything other than love for her. So if you look at how she she hears him talking about Mr. Elton's house, what she hears is a romantic, someone who wouldn't give a shit if she were wealthy or not. Now, it's hard to say. We don't know Frank well enough at this point, but that is what Emma is gleaning away from that encounter is that he will marry for love and not for money. Yeah. And so now she feels like a level of comfort opening up to him, knowing that If he does think she's enticing, it's not because she's rich. It's because she's hot and funny and smart. (laughs) Yeah. 
totally. What are your thoughts? Are you are you team Woodchill Church House? I don't know yet. Emma? MH? Uh <laughs> which one? Um what was the what was the second one? Church House? I like that one. Church House. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I think I understand where she's coming from and I can understand that she might hear that and think like, oh, he's a romantic. But we also know that he knows exactly what to say to please people. So I don't know if I believe that he is truly a romantic. I know that he does not need to marry up. And so therefore, like, he's probably not thinking of this in a financial sense, but he could be, ooh, ooh, idea, thought. So, okay, so thought would be that he is actually in love with someone who is poor, similar to like an Eddie situation, and he wants to marry Emma because she's rich and it will please his family and they can't possibly object to him marrying someone rich, but they couldn't object to him marrying someone who is who he's actually in love with because he can't marry down. Um, he, he doesn't need a financial love match, but marrying down status-wise would upset his Churchill family because they view his roots and the family that he comes from as so low. They don't want him to go back to that. They want him to stay on their level and Emma's on their level. So I almost wonder if he's doing it as he's like flirting with her as a way to appease his family. And I almost wonder if the person that he is in love with is Jane, but that's what doesn't work because she was in love with Mr. Dixon probably. Which brings me to my next question. And I will not confirm or deny any of that, obviously. Um, let's talk about Mr. Dixon and Jane Fairfax. What new facts do we learn about the relationship and what do you think we're missing? We're missing a lot. We learned that he was definitely intrigued by her. And Emma says at some point, I'm just glad that they moved away to Ireland and got Jane away from that situation because Jane probably didn't want to be a homewrecker. Um, Mr. Dixon didn't want his home wrecked. Didn't want to wreck his home, rather. It's not Jane's fault. But he definitely at least liked to watch her play the piano. When Elton, no, not Elton, when Churchill said that they had some sort of understanding amongst the three of them, I almost wanted to be rooting for some sort of like polyamorous situation, but I don't think that Jane Austen was writing that. In 21st century tellings of Jane Austen, we can go the thruple route. That is not what we are dealing with here today. Yes, um, but I think that it was probably clear that there was some sort of flirtation there. And I don't think that the moving to Ireland was necessarily a coincidence. The moving to Ireland of it all. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that Jane went to Ireland. I think Jane didn't go to Ireland on purpose, like we were saying in a couple chapters ago. Yeah, I think we're missing how Jane feels about it all. What do you think of Emma? <laughs> um, what do I think of Emma? I think Emma hears what she wants to hear knows that she's doing that and is fine with throwing away the rest. Fair. That's very fair based on these chapters. Um, funniest quote. It's kind of a long one. So here I go. This is uh, when she and Frank Churchill and her father and Mr. Weston are all like hanging out. And she's wondering if he's flirting with her. Her own father's perfect exemption from any thought of the kind, the entire deficiency in him of all such sort of penetration or suspicion, was a most comfortable circumstance. Happily, he was not farther from approving matrimony than from foreseeing it. Though always objecting to every marriage that was arranged, he never suffered beforehand from the apprehension of any. It seemed as if he could not think so ill of any two persons' understanding as to suppose they meant to marry till it were proved against them. Mr. Woodhouse has really been, like, dominating the funniest quote portions of these episodes, and I think it's entirely appropriate. Yeah, he's so funny. Questions moving forward. What is going on between Frank Churchill and Jane Fairfax? How do they know each other? What was their relationship like? What's going on between Jane Fairfax and Mr. Dixon? Kind of the same questions that you just asked me. Um, I just want more definitive answers. And then uh, what's going to happen with Mr. Martin? Because those sisters and mother are going to tell him that Harriet came to visit and that she only stayed for 15 minutes. So I'm curious about that. Who wins the chapters? Well, Frank Churchill did charm me. So welcome to the neighborhood, Frank Churchill, I guess. All right. We give a tentative, very charmed win to a Mr. Frank Churchill, who is 
at bare minimum living in our uteruses, if not in our brains. <laughs> totally. I think, yes, I think that's still accurate. And I also want to give to Mr. Weston for just living his best life in this chapter. So the Weston boys. The Weston boys can take the win. All right, Mr. Weston, Mr. Churchill. Okay, that does conclude this episode of Pot and Prejudice. For next time, we are going to read the next two chapters, which are chapters seven and eight in volume the second and chapters 25 and 26. If you are following along in a book without volumes, Molly, how are you feeling about all that? I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Maybe I'll read it tomorrow. Who knows? Well, until next time, then stay proper. And buy some gloves at Ford's because everyone will love you if you do. Yes, they will. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.